0: From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. According to a study published earlier this year in the journal Science of the Total Environment, here in the United States, invasive species cost the U.S. economy more than $21 billion per year, with the agriculture industry most affected. Researchers say increased mobility and global trade are primarily driving the spread of invasive animals and plants. In response to this ever-growing problem, the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, or IFAS, is creating a new invasion science research. Institute. It will bring together more than 120 UF IFAS scientists from more than 20 departments that are dedicated to the detection, diversion, tracking, and control of non-native and invasive wildlife and plant species. On today's show, we're going to meet its new director. Dr. Matthew Thomas is an internationally acclaimed entomologist and ecologist who has more than 30 years of experience researching a wide range of projects and problems, primarily on the ecology and control of insects and Diseases. Over the past 15 years, as professor of entomology at Penn State University, Dr. Thomas's major research focus has been the role of environmental factors like climate change, urbanization, and insecticide resistance in the distribution of vector-borne diseases like Zika, dengue, and malaria. He previously held tenured positions at Imperial College London and the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization's Division of Entomology in Australia. I caught up with him yesterday from Germany where he is part of a review panel for a large grant that's looking at the health impacts of climate change on infectious diseases primarily in Africa. Let's listen to that now. Dr. Thomas, welcome to Gulf Coast Life.
1: Thank you very much. It's um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So for starters, you've spent the past 30 years or so doing research work on the ecology and control of insects and diseases. What led you down that path to begin with?
1: Um, I guess as a as a as a kid, I was sort of interested in in natural history, um, in you know in ecology. I was always attracted to wildlife shows on the TV, um, and then when I went to university, I sort of realised that actually you could make a career out of this, which perhaps wasn't obvious to me at the time. Um, and I was always interested in 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 the ecology, so looking at the dynamics between organisms and the environment how environment shapes basically the numbers of species or and their distribution and and i was also interested in application i wanted to use that for something so uh, pest and disease control was seemed seemed a really interesting angle that indeed has been really interesting over the last 30 years and has allowed me to work in many different settings
0: so you were at Imperial College London for about three years before then joining the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization's Division of Entomology. That's in Australia. You were there for about three years. Give us a sense of the scope of the focus of your research in those two roles.
1: Yeah, so actually at Imperial, I was there for a long time, um, both as, as, as a postdoctoral researcher and then a research fellow, and then I ultimately joined the faculty And it's that sort of last three years on the faculty understood there i was really working i had a really great that was a phenomenal job i had a free reign to almost work on anything i want one of those great privileges that postdocs have because somebody else funded the work and uh, what i was interested in is to that was very very much focused on biological control so using natural enemies so uh, predators parasitoids pathogens of largely insects so that we could you know control those pest problems sustainably without having to rely on um, chemical insecticides and that really allowed me to work on a, on a on a wide range of things and and what i was trying to do or what i was tasked with was to help bring ecology into that help better understand the processes and the mechanisms of why biocontrol worked when it did and and indeed just as important why it didn't work when it didn't and what what were those lessons and how could we help improve the effectiveness of of biocontrol tools and i worked on a range of projects um and perhaps one of the most exciting for me at that, at that time was uh working on on developing uh, working as part of a very large team that helped develop a biological pesticide for control of locusts and grasshoppers in africa Uh, And so that was um, that was also my sort of first experience of working uh, working in Africa and seeing some of the challenges there Then when I moved to um, Australia for to work with CSIRO, which is the uh, abbreviation um, That was a in a way to continue the work, um, but in a new in a new set of systems um, new in terms of uh, local to Australia uh, so some different challenges there but also new perspectives and new challenges, new opportunities, new collaborators. I've moved a few times in my career and it's always been um, a very rewarding experience. It's hard, Uh, there are big transaction costs associated with it sort of starting up again, but but you get to meet new people, new perspectives, new challenges, and it really does stir the pot. Um, So I was there for three years, worked on, uh, again, a a range of different pest problems, uh, including invasive species, Australia has heaps and heaps of invasive species problems, Um, so we worked on that, but also continuing work or extending work into, um, into disease vectors, so transitioning from agriculture into public health, so dealing with not still interested in questions of, you know, what makes a pest a pest and what are we going to do about it, and fundamentally that's what I've done through my career is ask those two questions. Uh, but extending out of agriculture and out of natural environments to think about public health, so working with the mosquitoes that transmit viruses like uh, Zika and chikungunya, and also the mosquitoes that transmit malaria.
0: Were you doing that same kind of work when you were at Penn State University? You were a professor of entomology there, um, and did you spend time in the classroom there, or were you primarily a research professor? I was uh, primarily research, and that's very
1: much where the the work on the public health side working on mosquitoes that's really where that took off it was again a really stimulating environment an opportunity to be placed in a different environment and i was embedded in um, in a in a group in a relatively new center at that time called the center for infectious disease dynamics and there it was just the exposure to everybody thinking about diseases from very many different perspectives so from different disciplines but also different Uh, disease problems and uh, that really allowed me to sort of focus and grow um, a research program on malaria principally although some work on diseases as i said like dengue and zika or at least the mosquitoes that transmit them so i do focus on the i am broadly an entomologist so i do focus on the on the mosquitoes um and we did a lot of work there looking at a range of questions again Coming back to those questions of, you know, why is there more malaria in place A than place B? And why is that changing? Why is it going up? Why is it going down? How can we change that? So we real interest in, for example, climate change as a driver, things like urbanisation, things like housing improvement. So, you know, structural changes in the environment that influence the, the capacity of mosquitoes to transmit. And then also thinking about, well, what can we do about it? So thinking about tools. Uh, looking again at fungal pathogens, for example, that we spent quite a lot of time looking at the uh, ability to control mosquitoes with with n- not with pesticides necessarily, but with naturally occurring fungal pathogens. And that's those those that was thinking those were ideas that we really borrowed from the work that we'd done on on locusts earlier. And then thinking about questions around housing improvement and such like. So, and it culminated in us getting uh, being very fortunate to be to lead on a very large $10 million grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to run a big experiment to evaluate a novel intervention at scale uh, across 40 villages in in West Africa, in Cote d'Ivoire, to evaluate uh, an intervention which is sort of um, modifies the house actually, because transmission for malaria happens, at least in Africa, most of transmission happens indoors at night. And so we were trying to target those mosquitoes that entered the house at night. Um, and that was really interesting, not only for the experience, uh, working with m- multiple sectors, working with different donors, working with agencies like the World Health Organization, um, but also working with a, w- with a great range of partners, diverse research expertise from entomology, epidemiology, uh, strong social science, health economics, and with an industrial partner. So that was w- my w- one of my first sort of Probably the biggest single experience in terms of understanding the benefit and the requirement to adopt sort of multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary perspectives if we are going to try and solve these major problems.
0: So what made you decide to, you know, move south from Pennsylvania to take on this new role? You already kind of alluded to, you know, maybe liking to mix things up. Uh, Is that part of why you are moving here?
1: Uh, yes that that definitely is part of it um i i do enjoy mixing it up i also f- i was also felt that i was at a particular stage in my career um where i'd done a lot i've had a broad range of experiences and i was looking for a way that i could sort of bring that to bear not just through my own research and this sounds a little bit of a lofty goal but to try and help create an Im- an empowering and supportive environment to enable other people to succeed as well. I've been very fortunate in, in working with some great people and having a great environment around me in, in all of the places I've worked that has allowed me to um, to do well, I guess. And not wanting to sound um, smug about it, uh, but, you know, to have to uh, work with, be successful in getting grants, write a lot of papers, but also take that through to have, there are a number of examples where I think we've had genuine impact. And I was very keen to try and help pass that on and give back. And, and this opportunity at, at UF to help develop this new Invasion Science Research Institute uh, really fit, fit the bill um, in terms of that there was strong overlap with you know, some of my research interests but also a real need to um, think about multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary perspectives. And I was, and I've, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier, sort of very much aware of the need to do that. And also the chance to, to try and build something and, and, as I said, you know, maybe give back and help do something above and beyond something that I could achieve simply in my, in my own
0: research lab. So um, this new this new Invasion Science Research Institute doesn't really exist yet. Um, Before we get to, um, you know, what steps you're going to be taking to start to assemble it, describe what it will be once it's fully up and running, if everything goes as planned.
1: So that's a really interesting question. Um, You're quite right. At the moment, it doesn't really exist. It's it's an ambition and aspiration where we would like it to go is uh, slightly how long is a piece of string if we could if we were really successful and we could do something transformative and get um substantial grant income from you know nih or nsf or whatever um but also then potentially lines in the state or um, federal legislature to actually come up with a uh, you know Something transformative. So, uh, and and for instance, you know, have a dedicated building um, and a, an annual budget of multiple millions per year, so that we really put UF on the map as the certainly US center of excellence for invasion science, and ultimately one of the world's center of excellence for invasion science. And so that is a big, lofty ambition, but that's where I that's where I'd like to take it.
0: So you're gonna be bringing together researchers and scientists from across the US IFIS spectrum to work on this detection, diversion, tracking, control of non-native and invasive wildlife and plant species. Um, How familiar are you with um, the issues that they're already covering? I I, I would assume some of your first steps are getting to know them and the departments they're in and and understanding the scope of what's there to work with, right?
1: You're absolutely right,
0: yes. Uh, So I'm not coming in as the expert who has all the answers here.
1: I'm coming in to try and and sort of facilitate and enable and create an environment where we can generate those answers. And there are certainly people across UF and uh, both in Gainesville and and the um, research and education centers, and then extending to the multiple partners uh, who uh, UF work with and different stakeholders who know much more about invasive species, particularly invasive species in Florida than I do. Uh, so I don't have the answers in that way. What I really want to do is to to try and build a community. Um, there was um, one of the things that motivated the sort of the, the idea behind this initiative was well two really one one first of all recognizing that the sheer volume and the challenge of the invasive species problem. You know the I- invasive species are a major challenge across the US, and there are different economic analysis of this, but analyses rather so. Um, maybe over the last 50 years or so between 1.2 and 4.5 trillion dollars of impact associated with invasive species. Um, and that's running at about 20 billion a year at the moment. And Florida is, the, is ground zero for invasive species. It has more invasive species than anywhere else in the US and, and is getting more, is receiving more. So this is the, this is the plate. If you're going to try and build an initiative and to say how can we do invasion science better, there isn't a better place to do it than UF. Partly because of the magnitude of the problem, but also then the magnitude of the side, the critical mass of diverse expertise. Um, there was an internal survey at UF where, where about 120, 130 researchers self-identified as working on some aspect of invasion science. That's a really big pool of skill and, and knowledge to draw on. And the challenge is to try, for me, to try and learn as much of that as possible, meet as many of those people as possible, and and then ask them and work with them to develop a plan. What's working well now? What can we do differently? How can we address this problem more effectively? Particularly drawing on the skills that exist across these 120 researchers and their external partners uh, that are are thinking about invasive species challenges from multiple perspectives. So the idea is to try and create a dialogue, create a community and have shared ownership of a, of, a, of a vision of a way forward as to how we might try and do something differently moving forward rather than, and this isn't meant to sound critical, but the, the standard approach of, of just dealing with invasive species on a you know one by one piecemeal basis. The next one arrives, do something about it. The next one arrives, do something about it. Well, the next ones are arriving on a monthly basis. How do we try and get ahead of that? How can we can we do something different to actually come up with a coherent, holistic view that comes up with sort of more integrated approaches for dealing with these multidimensional problems?
0: I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Matthew Thomas is an entomologist and ecologist and director of the new Invasion Science Research Institute at University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences or IFAS. If you'd like to comment on this conversation or any of our shows, we invite you to do so using WGCU social media, find the post for this episode on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, Is this new institute's mission Florida focused, US focused, globally focused, Uh, which of those Fits
1: all of the above. Um, so certainly, um, we're starting local because, uh, as I said earlier, gra- you know, Florida is ground zero for invasive for invasive species, and that was actually one of the one of the attractions, slightly perversely, but the 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 ability to do something in your own backyard um, to real to really have impact locally. Um, was very attractive to me and to use the opportunities that that affords and so using Florida as a living lab uh, so if we can develop uh, new ways of thinking new ways of working new approaches some new tools engaging across multiple stakeholders and a lot of this happens already but I, I guess what we're trying to do with the Institute is to is to how do we do it how do we do it better how how can we add value where are the gaps? What can we do to help try and bring this together to cohere and boost the, the sort of suite of activities around invasion science? Um, we would like then for that to be a blueprint extending clearly to uh, for the US and, and globally. Um, ultimately, we want to have um, we want to improve the profile, impact, uh, and influence of invasion science research locally, nationally, and globally.
0: Um, would it be possible to characterize how much the understanding of threats that you know are created by invasive species has advanced over the course of your career? Is that, I mean, I would assume that the body of knowledge has grown, but can you kind of characterize that?
1: Uh, I think there's a much greater appreciation of, uh, of invasive species. I mean, invasive species aren't new. You can certainly track back um, invasions, introduction of species, um, either deliberately or accidentally, you know hundreds of years thousands of years even um so i think what's what's changed is an appreciation of the of the volume and i think what's changed is the volume because you know most of this is most invasions now um arrive through um increased globalization of transport and trade and we are becoming an increasingly interconnected world you can you can be anywhere in the planet within within 24 to 48 hours. And almost any invasive species could be as well. Um, so I think there's, there's a, a, an, a, an increased appreciation of the, of the scale of the problem and the impact of the problem. Uh, you know, invasive species are one, you know, one of the top five, if you like, um, causes of biodiversity loss, as well as then clearly direct impact on, on, on agricultural um, production, Uh, So not just natural ecosystems, but extending into agriculture, into, into, into forestry, into fisheries, uh, both uh, freshwater and aquatic systems and extending through to human health. Uh, So, you know, some of the big problems we're dealing with, like mosquitoes that transmit diseases like Zika that Florida is very familiar with. That's an invasive species problem. So I think we've got, we've, there's, there's a growing awareness of the problem, the fact that the problem is increasing in scale because of interconnectedness. And I think there's also a a, a sort of growing. um, It's not that we can't do anything about it. We're very successful in in trying to stem the tide. There are a number of examples of uh, you know successful biocontrol programs, for example, that bring that reintroduce or reacquaint an invasive species with its natural enemies that perhaps it left behind when it came into a new environment. So sort of redressing that balance. Um, But I think there are also new technologies, uh, biosecurity measures, very, very well-established. It's um, certainly in Florida, very well-established uh, biosecurity protocols and monitoring and surveillance um, through, um, through FDAX, for example, where you know they have a massive pool of researchers, scientists, basically collecting and identifying thousands of samples um, every month of potential invasive species. So we've got a lot of the bits in place, But the problem isn't going away, and I and I and what one of the exciting things is that we've also got an opportunity now through new technologies, through digital technologies, through new biotechnology, gene editing, uh, through artificial intelligence, through citizen science. So the what are the opportunities now of utilising this pool of of basically utilizing society everybody now has a computer in their pocket they have a mobile phone to what extent can we leverage that as a new opportunity for for monitoring and surveillance and early warning so I think we've I think you know we've got some new tools that are that are that 10 years ago we just didn't have and I think that's also part of the exciting challenge is how can we develop those and utilize uh, those um, new new opportunities
0: did you a, a few minutes ago? Did you say that mosquitoes are considered an invasive species problem here in Florida? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: so where are they? Well, I,
0: I they I I was under the impression that they just had always been here, but please flesh that out oh, for us. No,
1: so so absolutely, you Florida, as I have found out, has lots of mosquitoes, um, uh, but some of them are uh, some of them are native, and and some of them are I- invasive, and though some of the most serious ones, damaging ones, the ones that are responsible for transmitting major diseases are, in fact, invasive mosquitoes. So the Aedes mosquitoes that are responsible, so Aedes aegypti, Aedes albopictus, uh, one of those out of Africa, one of those out of Asia, Those um, those are introduced into the U.S. and, in fact, introduced globally or distributed globally now and they are responsible for most of the transmission of uh, of dengue, yellow fever, Zika, chikungunya virus, um, causing hundreds of millions of cases um, I- each year. And it's um, those are invasive species; they shouldn't be here.
0: If we were able to eradicate mosquitoes, what would be the um, uh, adjacent consequences of that?
1: Uh, uh, um, so so we would never eradicate mosquitoes there are there are many species of mosquitoes and they um they fulfill their role in in nature in ecosystems as food sources for fish as food sources in aquatic environments as pollinators as um you know helping to uh Helping in nutrient cycling, even and then as 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 adult mosquitoes, food sources, occasion you know for birds and bats and spiders and so on, um, and uh, so and there are as I said, there are hundreds of species of mosquitoes. Um, it's only a handful that are actually responsible at the moment for, that we are aware of for the major diseases like dengue, Zika, or or malaria or West Nile. Um, so if you were to eliminate those species. Um, then the ecological side spillover effects would be would be negligible, partly because they sh- in many places in the US, for instance, they shouldn't be here anyway. And I think we have tools now that really, you know, almost create almost create the possibility to think about do, doing something like that. Um, now we we don't have malaria in the US. We used to have malaria in the US. Um, we that that was locally eliminated. There's still imported malaria, about one to 2,000 cases a year of people bringing malaria back. Um, and there are mosquitoes that are available, that are suitable um, to transmit malaria. But there's there's no um, indigenous or, or person-to-person transmission of malaria in the US now, or, or only very, very rarely. And that's because we've got good health systems. Uh, we've got usually um, good surveillance, Good control capacity, access to drugs, um, uh, good healthcare systems, and good housing, um, air conditioning, window screens that reduce the that reduce the transmission cycle. So, for something like malaria and dengue, and I'm and I'm going maybe a little off message in terms of talking about invasive species, but these are really diseases of these are diseases of poverty, and um, so if we so a big part of Dealing with them is not just trying to deal with the individual mosquito, but to deal with the the, the socio-economic setting and the and the multiple sectors that feed into that, including housing, water, sanitation, hygiene, um, and the medical services as
0: well. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left, so you can't um, take too long on this answer. But what are your thoughts on the the use of the genetically modified mosquitoes that are being tested in the Keys right now?
1: Um, so personally, I have, I have, um, I'm not, I have nothing against uh, genetic modification, and it's a new tool. It's really allowing us to do something different. You know, we've been tackling, it is targeted, this, just this one species of, uh, at the moment, this one species of mosquito, Aedes aegypti, which shouldn't be there. It's an invasive species responsible for transmitting um, the major diseases of dengue and, and Zika and so on. And this is a new tool that we've never had before. So, um, so you know, it, it needs to be well-regulated, well-researched, and it is being, to the best of my understanding. So I think the risk, um, you know, the risk associated with it is, is extremely small. Nothing is without risk, and doing nothing also then has consequences. It means we just have to live with that disease risk, or we, when Zika comes along again or the next equivalent to Zika, there'll be another outbreak of a, another disease. Uh, we can try and get ahead of that um, by removing mosquitoes. No mosquitoes, no malaria, no dengue. So um, I, I think it's a very exciting tool, and I'd like to explore what other applications of that type of approach, uh, uh, some sort of gene editing or, or CRISPR approach, might be might create new opportunities for controlling other species too.
0: Um, last question have you settled into you know a new life here in Gainesville yet or are you still transitioning uh we
1: slightly strangely um so the simple answer is we are we are transitioning but we actually have a house down in Cedar Key uh, which has been phenomenal um that's been amazing to be down on the gulf really enjoying that and I have an apartment in Gainesville and um looking forward to actually sort of uh becoming a, a better established part of the, of the community and meeting my colleagues.
0: All right, well, we'll have to have you back as this all starts to get put together because I think it's really interesting, but I want to thank my guest, Dr. Matthew Thomas, is director of the new UF-IFAS Invasion Science Research Institute. Dr. Thomas, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. To clarify the topic of mosquito control research happening in the Florida Keys we talked about, earlier this year scientists there released genetically modified Aedes aegypti mosquitoes into the wild. They've been engineered to be male and non-biting and carry a gene that's lethal to female offspring in order to kill off about half of all new mosquitoes and help reduce the population overall. If you missed any of today's show, you can always see your episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.